As we come today, uh, we're going to do our reading. <clears throat> Just one second here. We're going to do it. We're going to stand and we're going to read it <clears throat> together uh, in unison. And it'll be on the screen up there. It'll be uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And when we get to verse 16, let's go up in volume, shouting that part where the Lord's coming back. Uh, let's stand and, and we'll read together in unison. At the conclusion of this, I'll say this is the word of God, and you'll say in return, thanks be to God. Let's begin. But we do not want you, the uninformed brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the voice of the, of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see that you can turn to that passage, but uh, we're going to walk through that briefly here. My, both my dad and his brother during World War II were in the Navy. My dad was on the USS Enterprise. My Uncle George was on a submarine. And there was quite often that we as families, we would travel together on vacations in the summertime. One summer, we went up New England way. And in New London, Connecticut, there's a Navy yard there. Guess who wanted to go see the Navy yard? My dad and my uncle. And I loved going there because it was all these big ships were there. As we was driving by, my uncle spotted the USS Nautilus. The first atomic submarine. The captain of that ship was on his submarine. It was one of his officers that he reported to. Well, he always has connections and he wouldn't make phone calls and stuff. And we got to get on that ship that day. That submarine, USS Nautilus. They took us on there. We got to tour it. It was magnificent seeing all those lights and switches. The captain invited us into his place to have lunch with him. Uh, we got to see everything about that ship that most people couldn't have gotten seen as civilians. And then he took us to the periscope. He raised it up so we could look into it. And I could look into that periscope and I could turn it around and I could see all the other ships in the harbor there. It was fantastic. I loved that periscope. When we came home, my dad made me a little periscope out of cardboard with some mirrors in it. He made one for each of my friends. But they weren't the real thing. You could only see a little bit with that. In the periscope you know, on the USS Nautilus, it could see 
when they was in the dark sea, you could raise it up and you could see the bright sunlight. You know, our Heavenly Father has given us the periscope of faith. When we have that periscope goes up in the dark times of our life, we don't see the current, but we see into the future. We see what God's going to be doing in the future. And I want to encourage you today, as we work through this passage here, to raise your periscope of faith to see what God's going to do in the future here. As we come to our passage here today, um, we're seeing here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was on his second missionary journey when he started this. He left on 19, in eight, AD 49. And he went up, if you picture the top right-hand corner of the screen up here, went up to Thessalonica, planted the church there, spent three weeks with those dear brethren. And then he came over to the right end of the screen to Corinth and stayed there about a year. In that year, he was getting reports back about the Thessalonians. Their faith was going everywhere, all over the place. But there were some concerns there. There were some concerns that was going on in that church. So Paul sent Timothy there to check it out. Timothy came back and confirmed the exciting things, but there's also some concerns. A number of the church members in Thessalonica had lost loved ones to death since Paul had departed. These church members were given, were grieving and prone to despair, fearing that their loved ones' deaths that occurred before Jesus' second coming would disqualify them from participating in the, in the forever salvation that was being promised to them. And to these discouraged souls, Paul now writes to encourage these believers with the truth concerning the subject of his return. And as we want to look at that today, what I want to just try to highlight, the second coming of Christ is the, mean, is the, is the means by which we are encouraged. To think on the second coming of Christ is the means that we can be encouraged. We can comfort those who are suffering and going through other trials. We can comfort people that are going through difficulties. How? By reminding them of the transformation that will take place for believers when Christ returns. It's going to be a glorious day. Today, we want to answer two questions from this passage. First one, what is encouraging about the second coming? What is encouraging about the second coming? And secondly, how do we encourage one another in light of the second coming? Let's answer the first question first. There were people there who were grieving. They had lost someone loved ones. And they had the extra burden of not knowing if there was such a thing as their resurrection. Paul had only spent three weeks there. He didn't get to cover everything. It, by the way, it is good to grieve for those that we've lost. But they were concerned. They had sorrow upon sorrow there. Grieving is much more broader than just grieving for the lost people. There's other things that flow out of the root of grieving. And I want to speak to also some of those things today. Other than death, listen all of us are regularly going to be facing things that will challenge our hope, things that are going to be challenging to our faithfulness. We will all face things that might cause us to ask questions. We all might face things that will cause us to doubt at times. We'll all face things that might cause us to complain about what's going on. 
We'll all face things that might cause us to want to quit. We've seen that recently. People giving up the faith that are known people. I want us to consider these situations along with death as where we need to encourage one another. First one I just want to just mention, then we'll go back and look at it briefly, is the situation of personal suffering. Personal suffering. Here's the situation. You're dealing with physical suffering, a physical illness. Something is not right with your body, either as a result of some disease or some injury or just plain old aging. Or there's some, or there's some suffering at the hands of another person, some emotional or psychological suffering. Whatever it is, you're suffering personally. It is prolonged, it is painful, and it, it's difficult. In the midst of that, which we will all experience to some degree, at some point, we need to be encouraged, don't we, in the midst of these sufferings. Another situation that we comes out of grief is weariness, just being tired. We get tired. We get tired physically, don't we? We get tired emotionally. We get worn out. Sometimes we get tired spiritually. Dealing with hard situations. Dealing with people. Dealing with children day in and day out. Moms, you get worn out sometimes, don't you? We get tired of dealing and caring for our elderly parents day in and day out. We feel our frailty. We feel our weakness. We feel our limitations. We feel our pressurability. In the face of weariness, we need to be encouraging one another about what lies ahead. Situation number three. I'm going to call this one frustration. Futility, if you will. Frustration in this world. There's a little phrase that I find myself saying when I'm working on some kind of project around the house. Would you think that something so simple would be so hard? Because the world is frustrating, isn't it? Things don't always work out the way we want them to work out. You know what this is the result of? This is the result of living in a world that has been cursed. We're living under the curse of Adam, of his sin. Sometimes it shows up in small things, like a leaky faucet, and sometimes it can be very frustrating, can't it? And then sometimes it shows up in bigger things, like you pack up and move your family to another town, take on a new job, and all six months, after six months you're there, you get laid off. It's frustrating. And you feel like you're a pawn in this mad world, and you're tempted to wonder, didn't God see that coming? Frustrating. Regularly, small things, big things, every size of things that we, we face frustrations and futility. And then in the face of that, we all, if we all experience what is needed is a reminder, some perspective, some information. There's another situation. And this is the temptation to drift in our pursuit of holiness. Imagine you're at the ocean beach and you're taking your kids out there, they want to swim, and they're all back in the corner back there. And you look up, and they're drifted a little bit that way, towards the right over here. And you get concerned about them. You look up again, and you can't spot them anywhere. And all of a sudden, you spot them at the top of Edgewood, a big truck coming down the hill. In the ocean, you, they can't find their way back. And they drift in it. And we drift spiritually sometimes, and we put our souls in danger. We need to be encouraged what lies ahead. We, do, we need to know what's going to happen in the future. Our captain, Jesus Christ, calls us to up periscope. 
when we see how others are going through difficulties and trials, then he says, look to me and therefore encourage one another with these words that I'm coming back for them and for you to bring you all home to be with me forever. That would be the encouraging words that we have there. I want you to just keep in mind here what Christ has done in the past and what he'll do in the future impacts us what we'll do today. And that's encouraging for us because whatever he does is right. What he does in the past and what he will do in the future impacts how we live today. And then we come to verse 13 as we start here. It says, I do not want you to be uninformed. The whole thing of all this teaching is prompted by concern for those people who died. The death of various individuals in that church in Thessalonica. Some people had died and they had brought great sorrow in the hearts of those people who had remained. But it also raised some questions in their minds. What's going to happen to them? These were new believers basically within a year's time who had remained, but it also raised questions, as I mentioned. When a believer dies, the soul goes to be with the Lord, right? And the body goes to the grave. They might not have had that understanding at that time. All of this was so new to them, and so they hadn't really been able to hear everything from Paul in those three weeks that he was there. So they were wondering, and they wanted to know, what will happen to those people who died? So Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. When we use the word hope today, we use it in a sense of doubt, don't we? If I ask you if you're coming to work day next week, next Saturday, and you say, I hope so. Well, there's no confidence there. You're just saying there's no doubt, there's no confidence. But hope in the Bible is the most assurance of a thing that's going to happen that you could ever have. It is, it will happen. It's, it's guaranteed that it happened. Do you have this hope? Do you have this hope? Came across that there was a letter that had been preserved from the second century. It's a letter written to a couple who had just lost a child. And it's written by a friend who had previously lost a child of her own. And so now she gets the news that this couple, these friends of hers, had lost a child. And she sits down to write them a letter to express her sorrow. At the end of this letter, she says, really, there is nothing one can say in the face of these things. Really, there is nothing one or I can say in the face of these things. No real hope to offer. No real comfort to give. That was the predominating opinion among the people that day. And so they grieved without hope. But Paul says, Christ has made all of the difference in the world. Everything is different because of Christ. In fact, that's exactly where he goes in verse 14. Let's read that. Do you see that? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, this information is not some philosophical or religious speculation. No, this information finds its basis in historical facts. Jesus died. And Jesus rose again. And because of that, there is truth that can be spoken to your people, to you. Notice Paul refers to them, those who have fallen asleep. When God created man, which was fearfully and mournfully made, he included the concept of rest. We are so mournful made that God included the concept of sleep for us. 
our bodies are resting, but our bodies are also being renewed, reinvigorated as we go through that sleep. It's being refreshed. It's being renewed. So you got to pay attention here in how Paul speaks. Since Christ himself and his death on the cross took the horror of death for us, since he died in our place and took the horror of death, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have been united in the faith. Death is now sleep. Death is now sleep. Because we're going to be renewed when we're going to be resurrected body. Do you have this hope? Then it says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. You know, as we read these verses, we can't help but think, what's it going to be really like when Christ comes back? We want to fill in all of the details, don't we? We want to know more about the things that are going to happen in this great event. But the Bible simply does not give us that much detail about the second coming of Christ and what it's going to be like. The Bible is not here, folks, to gratify our curiosity. The Bible is here to help us to live the Christian life. So the information that is very useful to us, and perhaps the greatest thing that Paul says in verse 16, the Lord will descend himself. Christ himself is coming back. There is one thing that is made very clear, and that Christ himself will come. When he comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. The very first result of the second coming of Christ is the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Those Christians who have already died, those who have died and they've just simply fallen asleep, and they will awake. As soon as they wake, they will recognize that they have been awakened by Christ himself. Then in verse 17, we who are alive will be called up together. Notice, with them. There will be a reunion. Do you remember what happened right after Christ said it is finished? In Matthew 27, 50, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. These tombs that split open, live bodies came out of them. Imagine that. Picture that. Any cemetery that you can think of, picture any cemetery. Picture a picture of the flat world. Think about how many cemeteries there are in the world. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Think about it. There will be thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of believers rising up to be with the Lord. Your loved ones will be in that company. And all of those will be reunited with their souls. Christ is bringing their souls back to reunite them. And then we will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, now when Paul says the word we now, he says it's all believers that are included. Those that have passed away and those that are still alive. All believers will be resurrected. We'll always be with the Lord, he says. Can you imagine that? Always being with the Lord. Now of all the information that is given here, and this, this is the best. This is what we eagerly are longing for. This is the greatest information about what's ahead. We will be with Christ. Here's the question for you. 
Would you be happy in heaven if Christ was not there? Think about it. Would you be? Something to imagine. Would you be happy in heaven if you could have heaven with no sickness whatsoever there? And if all of the friends that you've ever enjoyed here on earth there? And all of the food that you ever enjoyed there? And all of the activities that you ever enjoyed there? And if all the natural beauties that you've ever seen there? There'd be no human conflict, no natural disasters, no Hurricane Dorian, and no pain of any kind. Could you be satisfied with all that in heaven if Christ was not there? No, the good news of the gospel is just not the things that we receive from God. No, the essence of the good news is Christ, right relationship with Christ. The essence of the gospel is fellowship with Christ. The essence of the gospel is being with Christ. We have so many good things in the gospel, but none of them, none of them are anything without Christ. Christ is everything. So when we read these words, when we hear this information, so we always be with the Lord. That is the best news that you or I could possibly imagine. This being with the Lord forever is the ultimate goal of God's work of resur resurrection in verses 13 through 17 that we're looking at. Christ's resurrection leads to our resurrection, which results in being with the Lord forever. So the summary of this information Paul gives us in these verses, Christ will return with all who have put their faith and trust in Christ, whether asleep or alive, they will be gathered to Christ. The dead first, then immediately thereafter, we will then spend eternity, unending perfect eternity with Christ. That leads us to our second question for today. So how can we be an encouragement to others? It's in verse 18, and we want to get practical here. How do we encourage one another in the light of the second coming? The Apostle Paul knew the exhilarating power of encouragement. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prescribed Christians frequently Help each other in running in the race of the Christian life with a steady light of encouragement. That's our food that we live off of. The word that he's referring to here means to encourage or to comfort. It means to urge with uplifting words, to console, to cheer up, especially in times of discouragement and sorrow. The good news that we saw in these verses stimulates our joy as we consider our future. We see our dear brothers and sisters again and forever we'll bask in the Lord's presence. Though our present circumstances seem dark and threatening. Let me say it again. Though our present circumstances seem dark and threatening, but with our periscope of faith, the future could not look any brighter. It can't look any brighter because we have the faith. We're seeing what's going to happen. I want you to note here that this is also the grace, words of encouragement are transforming grace. When we encourage one another, it's a transform. Those words are transforming. They're God's words. I just want you to notice some of the things here about how they transform those words of encouragement. First of all, is from being in despair to being glad. You remember back in 1 Samuel 1, the city of Jabesh Gilead was being surrounded and threatened by Nahash. And the boy pledged the only way these people could live is if they let him put out their right eye. But then the people received the good word of an encouraging one. King Saul was coming to rescue them. It says they were glad. 
And Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word, a good word makes it glad. That's transforming grace. We encourage that. Encouragement also sweetens us. Remember when Jonathan was fighting the battle and he fought all day long? He was famished at the end of the day and he took his staff and put it into the bee's nest and poured out some honey and tasted that and he was refreshed. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. That's transforming grace. When you need encouragement, it comes and the sweetness to your soul and it encourages your bones. And another aspect of encouragement that transforms, it transforms us from needing encouragement to being an encourager. When we need encouragement and we receive it, then we become one who gives it back out to someone else. Listen as I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. You hear that? God comforts us. We're strengthened. We turn around. We want to help the next person who needs comforting. That's glorious, isn't it? But I want you to note here, as we look at therefore, encourage one another, that's a command. It's not an optional force. It's a command. It's a, and as this command has two aspects to it. You are to be an encourager, number one, when you see other believers going through any aspect of difficulty, trials or whatever. You're to do that. You're to be an encourager when you see those going. And the second aspect of this is, and if you need encouraging, you are to receive encouragement from another believer, knowing that that person is in obeying the command of Christ. So you need to give thanksgiving for that person that's coming to encourage you. So now, let's walk through some examples uh, in the remaining time here of what it, this encouragement may look like. We mentioned some of these things earlier. But let's take the first of all, the, the situation of mortality. This is from our passage. Uh, so the situation of, it's the situation of seeing loved ones die, seeing parents die, seeing spouses die, Seeing even children die at times and seeing our friends die. It's the situation of seeing your own death coming. Even as you lie on your deathbed wondering what's going to happen. Oh, I hope I'm a, when I'm approaching death, one of my children, I hope one of my children, whether it's one of the, my sons or my daughter, I hope they're all there. But I hope at least one of them, representing them all, begins to read to me this passage quietly, confidently. Read to the, me this information in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When people have lost loved ones, we are facing our own death, then we need be, to encourage another about what lies ahead. Christ calls us to raise our periscope of faith and to look to him for what he's going to do in the future. I hope to hear these words. Dad, we know that you've read these before, and back in September 2019, you preached from this passage, but we want to remind you of this now. Dad, well, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who will be called up, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. And so, Father, we will always be with the Lord. Just reminding me in the face of my mortality of what's ahead. Because when we speak like that, oh, it will have the effect of encouraging a steady, joyful, hope-filled right, uh, faithfulness right up to the very end. And those that have been encouraged will become encouragers. And there are those of you who are facing death in the near future, and you have become encouragers to all of us as that day come closer. Thank you for being an encouragement to us. Situation number two, we talked about personal suffering a little while ago, about how it could be prolonged and it's difficult, it's difficult to go through. When, we face, when people face suffering, we need to be encouraging one another about what lies ahead. Christ calls us to raise that periscope of faith and to look to him, what he's going to do in the future. He reminds us of his promise in Psalm 103, which says, the Lord who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Brothers and sisters, there's a day coming in which he will heal all of our diseases. Oh, what a day that will be. We should look forward to that day when he comes back, and that will take place. Listen to how Paul encourages the Corinthians in chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer, through a, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are seen are eternal. Listen, when we speak like that if we, it will have the effect of encouraging one another to a steady, joyful, hope-filled faithfulness even in the face of suffering. And those that have been encouraged will become encouragers. Situation number three, the weariness. We talked about being weary in all kinds of aspects. Physical, spiritually, worn out. Worn out with caregiving. We feel all these things. Now in the face of that, which we will all experience, what is sometimes, in fact, what is frequently needed, we need a reminder, don't you? We need some perspective. We need some information about what's going to happen in the future. In the face of weariness, we need to be encouraging one another about what lies ahead. Christ calls us once again to raise our periscope of faith, to see the rest that he has made promise to us, that he's promised to bring to us. The writer of Hebrew tells us that God rested from his works, and Christ rested when he said, it is finished. And there remains a Sabbath rest, an eternal rest for us to enter into so that we may always be with the Lord. Listen to how Paul encourages it in Galatians 6. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, and in another he says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will, shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass to say, and that is written, death 
is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of, the, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When we speak to one another like that, when we remind one another that we will have the effect of encouraging one another to a steady, joyful, hope-filled faithfulness, even during times of weariness, and those that have been encouraged will become encouragers. And then we spoke about frustration. The little things, big things that come in our lives. That's the result of living in this cursed world. Christ calls us to raise our periscope of faith that there's a day coming when we remove all memory of our frustrations. Listen in Psalm 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, for the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And so we will always be with the Lord. Romans 8. We groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, with the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not that that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When we speak to one another like that, we will have the effects of encouraging one another to a steady, joyful, hope-filled faithfulness, even in the face of frustrations, large and small. And those that have been encouraged will become encouragers. And the last one that we mentioned was drifting. There was a time when you were eagerly pursuing holiness, pursuing righteousness. You wanted to grow. You wanted to live for God's glory. You were stirred up and you were pressing on, but after a while you realized that this is hard. This is difficult. This is timely. It's costly. And while you're looking, you look at so those around you who are not as zealous as you were. And they seem to be doing okay. They're just floating in the lazy river of life. And so there's a temptation to relax in your pursuit of holiness and just to get in that lazy river with them and join them. Drifting is always away from God, never towards Him. And in the face of that temptation, which we all experience at times, what is needed, we need a reminder. We need some perspective. We need some information. We need to be encouraging one another about what lies ahead. Christ calls us to raise our periscope of faith and see the day coming and he will complete our salvation and our striving. And we'll be like Christ forever. John 1, 1 John 3, 2 says, We know that when he appears, we should be like him because we shall see him as he is. Doesn't that excite you to be like Christ? To do that, to see that. As I come to a conclusion here, I want to give you a, a word of cautionary counsel. I heard some time back that there was a church, there was a skit in the morning service. It took about 15 minutes, the service, and it was on the theme of true Christian compassion. And in the closing lines of that little drama, one woman was comforting another woman who had just suffered a loss. And that woman who had suffered the loss was thanking the woman that was comforting her and said, thank you for not quoting verses like Romans 8, 28 to me, at me, but just loving me. 
we all know that there can be a careless quoting of verses at people. And we all know that there's a great need for true compassion and for true love. But I hope, I hope we also know that there can be no real comfort. There can be no real encouragement without truth. There can be no real comfort, no real encouragement without truth. In the, faces, in the face of challenges, the human heart longs to know what is true. In the face of difficulty, one thing the human mind wants to know is what is true? What is truth? And in the context of our life together, in the context of our relating and being in one another's lives, there will be a regular, and I would suggest daily, opportunities for us to speak the truth, strengthening truth, clarifying truth, perspective-giving truth, and truth that actually encourages. It's truth that's needed, truth spoken, and truth operating among us as such that as we face the various experiences in life, we are able to encourage one another. Sometimes that's going to take the form of reading God's Word. Sometimes it's going to take the, the form of simply reminding one another of the course of our careful, compassionate conversation, just to exhort them and encourage them. Sometimes it's going to take the form of gently challenging the way people are thinking. But whatever form it takes, it takes these words, this information, this truth should be spoken often in our life together. This truth about Christ coming back. What that's going to mean for us. The glory that we have. If you're here today. And you do not know Christ as your Savior. Do you have any hope. What will happen to you when you die. But. If you don't. We don't want you to be uninformed about the future. There will be a day in this world. When we know it will end. All things we've spoken about this morning. Will happen. The only true hope. And the world is to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This will give you hope, full assurance of being with him forever. People of Grace Church, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, what a great gift God has given us. What a great gift God has given us. And what a great privilege we have to actually encourage one another, especially about what lies ahead. It's part, a very precious part of our life together. As a congregation, may that be what we're known for, is caring for one another. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we can encourage believers to come and become encouragers those who are grieving and suffering and going through trials. Oh, may our words of comfort be transformed to those who hear them, and may they become encouragers as we were. We pray for those here who don't know you today, that they'll come to the saving faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for encouraging us with these words. In your name we pray. Amen.